Our scripture reading this morning, we are in the third chapter of Ruth, the first 18 verses. And in a modern English translation, we will hear the next interesting chapter of Ruth's story. One day her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to Ruth, My dear daughter, isn't it about time I arranged a good home for you so you can have a happy life? And isn't Boaz our close relative, the one who, with whose young women you've been working? Maybe it's time to make our move. Tonight is the night of Boaz's barley harvest at the threshing floor. Here's my advice to you. Take a bath. Put on some perfume. Get all dressed up and go to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there until the party is well underway and he's had plenty of food and drink. When you see him slipping off to sleep, watch where he lies down and then go there. Lie at his feet to let him know that you are available to him for marriage. Then wait and see what he says. He'll tell you what to do. Ruth said, if you say so, I'll do it, just as you've told me. She went down to the threshing floor and put her mother-in-law's plan into action. Boaz ate and drank his fill. He felt great. Then he went off to get some sleep, lying down at the end of a stack of barley. Ruth quietly followed. She lay down to signal her availability for marriage. In the middle of the night, the man was suddenly startled and sat up. What in the world? This woman asleep at his feet. He said, and who are you? She said, I am Ruth, your maiden. Take me under your protecting wing. You're my close relative, you know, in the circle of covenant redeemers. You do have the right to marry me. He said, God bless you, my dear daughter. You could have had your pick of any of the young men around. Don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you could want or ask. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are. I am a close relative to you, but there is one even closer than I, so stay the rest of the night in the morning if he wants to exercise his customary rights and responsibilities as the closest covenant redeemer, he'll have his chance. But if he isn't interested as God lives, I'll do it. Now, go back to sleep until morning. Ruth slept at his feet until dawn, but she got up while it was still dark. She didn't want anyone to know what had happened, so she tried to sneak out so she wouldn't be recognized. Then Boaz said to himself, no one must know that Ruth came to the threshing floor. So Boaz poured out six measures full of barley and put it on her shoulders. Then she went back to town. When she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, and how did things go, my dear daughter? Ruth told her everything that the man had done for her, adding, and he gave me all this barley besides six quarts. He told me, you can't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi said, sit back and relax, my dear daughter, until we find out how things turn out. This man isn't going to waste any time. Mark my words, he's going to get everything wrapped up today.
So it strikes me that this passage in Ruth is full of lots of things, and we could spend, I don't know, months talking about this chapter. Um, this is one of those chapters that we don't read in polite company, even though it's in the Bible, right? It's a little bit risque for Sunday mornings. We don't talk about this part of our lives. This is off limits for God, right? Except it's not, because if you read the Bible, it's all over the place, <laughs> right? And this is one of those passages where women secretly nod and smile. Because this reveals a little inner secret that women know that we hide from you men folk. Which is that as much as you think that you're in charge, women really rule the roost, right? Yeah? Women have these little secret things that we do to sort of have men do things that they don't really know about. Or sometimes they do know about and they just pretend. So welcome to a little bit of women's world this morning, men. Ruth is incredibly brave, incredibly courageous, and this is not new news. We have seen Ruth be courageous through this whole process. Boaz, on the other hand, is bemused and confused and doesn't really understand why this good news is befalling him. And on the surface, this is a story about Boaz's kind actions to Ruth and Ruth's bravery and responsibility. But the verse which catches my attention this morning isn't any of the relationship stuff that follows, but the very first verse of the chapter, which was, hey, Ruth, isn't it time you got married and had some babies? Because it encapsulates for all of time the way that our families put pressure on us in subtle and not so subtle ways. I can't tell you the number of times after a wedding I have stood outside of the church with the couple who's just gotten married, many 22, 23 years old, and the first thing that people say is, congratulations, when are you going to start having a family? Right? And they always go, right? I'm 22, 23, 24 years old. I don't want to have a family yet. I'm kind of okay with not having family yet, right? All this pressure to make these decisions that are lifelong decisions, and we're so happy that you got married, and now it's time for you to go about having some children. Now, most of the time, our pressure, this pressure we experience is not spoken aloud like that. It's not literally somebody coming up to you and saying, it's about time to have children. Though I've got to say, as somebody who was a late-in-life mother, the longer that you wait to have children, no matter what the reason was, the more pressure that is applied to you. Yeah. When are you going to have children? Oh, you're just having too much fun. Is that what it is? You're just having too much fun. Are you too busy? Oh, you work full-time. You must be too consumed by your career. Oh, by the way, did I mention that it's an infertility issue? Right? And it wasn't like a choice, so thanks for reapplying that constantly and poking it, right? We do all of these pressure points with one another, and don't pay attention, really, to how people respond. And I am not in any way not guilty of this, because the other night at dinner, we said to our daughter, um, who's been taking piano lessons, how was your piano lesson? Did you have a good time? Did you enjoy it? She said, yeah, I like piano. I'm starting to get, I think I'm starting to get good at it. Jeremy and I, of course, immediately said, well, you know, when you get older, maybe you could play piano in church like Miss Elizabeth and Miss Melissa do, right? And she went, yeah, maybe. And then we said, 
Oh, and then maybe you could go to college. You know, Oberlin has a really good piano program. You can do it. And she was like, and then I was like, well, then you can play the organ because you'll make a lot of money playing the organ because people don't do that anymore. <laughs> and then you'll be a concert organist and it'll be fantastic and you'll make so much money and we'll come to all your concerts. And Caitlin at that point was like, you know I'm seven, mom, <laughs> right? Or this, this is another one of my favorites. Dads who name their business blank and sons. Right? They don't have any sons yet. There's no children in the family, but there will be. Blank and sons. Or the quiet or not so quiet expectation we place on all children to go to college, even though maybe they want to be a plumber. And, and maybe they still go to college. Like my dad who got a technical degree and was an electrician, right? We do this, society, our families, all kinds of people place pressure on each other to meet our expectations of what their life has to be. And Naomi is the queen of this pressure campaign. It's about time you got married, go get dressed and make it happen. Now the best treatment of this pressure campaign is in a movie called Encanto. And if you have children of a certain age, you know Encanto. <laughs> These movies, these children's movies, are becoming really good experts at explaining deep emotional situations. And in this story, in Kanto, um, the main character is a girl named Mirabelle, and the family has, all has superpowers. They all have something that they can do that's special, except for Mirabelle, who does not. And they blame everything on her because it's her fault. And the magic starts to break. It's not working anymore. And the main character in this clip we're about to watch is, her name is called Louisa, and her magical strength, or her magical power is strength. And because the magic is breaking, everybody starts blaming everybody else. And we're gonna watch this little clip about pressure. Why would anything be wrong? I'm totally fine, the magic's fine, Louisa's fine. I'm totally not nervous. Your eyes doing the thing. I'm the strong one. I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. Okay. I move mountains. I move churches. And I glow because I know what my worth is. Of course. I mean, hey, where are you going? I don't ask how hard the work is. Got a rough and destructible surface. Diamonds and platinum. I find on my platinum. I take what I'm handed. I break what's demanded. But under the surface, I feel berserk as a tightrope walker in a three ring circus. Under the surface, was Hercules ever like, yo, I don't wanna fight Cerberus? Under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can be in service. A flaw or a crack, the straw in the stack. Since I worry 
something is gonna hurt us under the surface the ship doesn't swerve as it hurt how big the iceberg is under the surface i think about my purpose can i somehow preserve this line up the dominoes the light wind blows you try to stop it down but on and on it goes but wait if i could shake the crushing weight of expectations would that free some room up for joy or relaxation in your head for the rest of your life, you're welcome. <laughs> what did we learn about pressure? What does Louisa tell us about pressure? Say it again. It keeps building. It just keeps building, right? If we don't get rid of it, it just keeps piling up and eventually we will explode. Yeah, what else do we know about pressure? Yes, ma'am. It never stops. Yeah, there's always something else. What else? We don't see other people under pressure, right? Their cranky response or they're not totally being present is something wrong with them. It's not the pressure that's being applied. Yeah. What else? What's causing her pressure? Why is she feeling pressure? Expectations. Say that again. Expectations. Expectations. What she's expected to do is to fix everything because she's the strong one. And she can handle anything, right? What else? Okay, so that's the thing about pressure. Pressure doesn't cause us to just explode. It causes us to carry all of this guilt around when we don't live up to other people's expectations or we're not able to handle the pressure and we have to get rid of some of it. And Ruth does this in such a clever way, which is to manipulate both Boaz and Naomi. She's going to go because Naomi asked her to, but she's not going to do everything Naomi asked her to. She's just going to sleep and see what happens. And I wish that I could tell you this morning that God is going to magically come along and relieve all of the pressure in your life like a valve. That God is going to be able to just make it okay, whatever it is that you're carrying around, the guilt, the expectations, the pressure, whatever it is. And I know the temptation is to try to run away from the problem in the first place or to hide it or to bury it even farther down. But the Bible's really clear about this. God never lets us run away from our problems. Jonah tries to run away. God throws him back in the water and swallows him, puts him in the belly of a whale. Elijah tries to run away. God sends a storm and forces him back to where he's supposed to go. Ezekiel tries to run away. God sends a fiery thing for him. Jesus tries to run away, and God says, 
Hmm. You're doing it anyway. And so God's not going to come along and just make the pressure go away. But God does give us the ability to withstand the pressure. God comes along and says to you, I know who you are, and the only expectation that you have to live up to, the only pressure that you have to recognize is the one that I place on you to be a child of God. And so it is okay for you not to do everything. And it is okay for you to lay other people's expectations of you down and say, this is not who God has called me to be. You can think whatever you want. I'm going to be who God called me to be. And God also gives us an eternal worldview which reminds us that whatever pressure or problem we think is the end of the world is not. It's just not. Whatever it is that you're carrying around that you think is too heavy to lay down, whatever it is that you think is so consuming and all-consuming, God has already got the answer and the solution in mind. God has already got it. And so whatever it is that brings you pressure, you can put it down. And God also reminds us to take space and to breathe. Whenever it feels overwhelming, whenever it feels like too much, whenever it feels like you're about to pop, then you get to do what Jesus did, which is go to a mountain and sleep. Go to a mountain and sleep, or go to a mountain and pray. Go to a mountain and get away from all the people who keep telling you to be perfect. If Jesus can lay down the miracles and walk onto a boat and say, I'm taking some me time, then so can you. You don't have to carry other people's burdens for them. You don't have to be any more than who you are. And if all you ever do is live up to the person God made you to be, then that is all that you are expected to do. And so put it down. You do not have to be perfect. You do not have to be stronger than everybody else. And you do not have to carry that weight. Go to a mountain and pray. Find a friend to yell at who'll listen. Drink a glass of wine. Do whatever it is that it takes. But you can put it down. And you don't have to pop. Amen.